welcome back to my channel. So today I'm gonna to be telling you a really, really wild story out of Canada. This is a, you know, lesser known case. So a lot of you probably haven't heard of it, but get ready. It is one of the craziest ones out there. As I was reading about this case, I could not believe how this all unfolded. It's a very interesting story. Today I'm gonna to be telling you about the Pan family. So this is Bic and Han Pan. So Han was born in Vietnam and he grew up there, but in 1979, he actually moved to Canada as a refugee. And a very similar story with his wife, Bic Pan. She also was born in Vietnam and came over to Canada as a refugee. So the two of them ended up getting together. They got married in Toronto and they ended up settling down in Scarborough, Canada. And then in 1986, they had their first daughter and they named her Jennifer. And then in 1989, they had their second child and they named him Felix. So the Pans worked at an auto parts manufacturer called Magna International in Aurora, Ontario. Han worked as a tool and die maker and then Bic actually made car parts. This couple worked very hard for their money. They were, you know, immigrants and they took every opportunity they could and worked as hard as they could. They wanted to make sure that their kids had opportunities that they never even had when they were younger, so they were all about working hard. They were both very thrifty people and good savers, so eventually they ended up saving enough money to buy a really nice house. In 2004, they purchased their house and they were super excited because this was something they had always wanted for their family. It was definitely their end goal, their dream was to be able to afford a nice house for their family to grow up in. The house was in a residential area called Markham. They were also able to afford really nice cars. They were really living the dream Bic was driving a Lexus and Han was driving a Mercedes. So they were doing really well. They felt like they had settled into a great neighborhood and they were super excited about their future. Everything was going very well for the Pan family. Now, probably the most important thing for you to know about this family though, is they were very, very strict parents. They are what some people refer to as tiger parents. And it's a Asian style of parenting that is very strict, known to have, you know, very little leeway. And oftentimes the parents are extremely controlling of their kids. It can be a ton of pressure to grow up in a home with really strict parents who have extremely high expectations of you. And that's exactly how the pans were. They had hugely high expectations of their kids. They wanted them to really excel, take every opportunity that they could get them and just do even better than they had done. Jennifer and Felix were thought to be very well-behaved kids. Felix was studying mechanical engineering and was at a very prestigious university. And he basically did this because Han wanted him to go to school for engineering so that he could work on cars and be part of what their family does. But he wanted him to be able to design the cars, which is a whole different ballgame. Jennifer was also seen as a very impressive student. She also had a a lot going on in her extracurricular life. She started playing piano when she was only four years old. She also played flute in the school band. She did figure skating. She was actually super into the figure skating thing. She wanted to become an Olympic athlete. So she spent a ton of her time training, which is a very stressful world as well. However, she ended up tearing her ligament in her knee and it was a really bad injury, so bad that she ended up quitting figure skating altogether and that dream was completely squashed. Jennifer was also thought 
thought to be a very good student, but turns out Jennifer was kind of hiding a lot of things from her parents and her school was actually one of them. Even though her parents put a ton of pressure on her to get good grades, she kind of averaged around, you know, the C-70-ish range and definitely wasn't getting straight A's. The only thing she was doing really well in was music. She really thrived in music and absolutely loved it. But her parents expected her to have straight A's. There was no choice for her. So she actually ended up forging report cards, literally faking her grades on it and convincing her parents that she was actually getting straight A's when she was a pretty average student. Have any of you guys ever forged a report card? I'm dying to know. I feel like that's pretty savage. At the time, Jennifer was attending Mary Ward Catholic School and she actually ended up having to leave the school because her behavior and grades were bad and transferred to a different school. And her parents knew that she, you know, moved school and everything and they were so strict. They picked her up every single day to watch her basically like a hawk. They'd, you know, get her in the car, take her straight home, monitor all her extracurricular activities, make sure she wasn't just doing whatever as a teenager, as most of us did as teenagers. They had a serious issue when it came to boys. They were absolutely terrified of Jennifer getting distracted from her studies by boys and they wouldn't let her even have friends that were boys really. Like they didn't want boys around their daughter, period. So she was definitely not allowed to go on like dates or anything like that. In fact, she wasn't even allowed to go to the school dances, which I mean, I would have been so angry about that as a teenager. I mean, that was such an important thing to me back then. Although now thinking of going to a high school dance makes me want to die inside. But back then I would have freaked out if my parents told me I couldn't go or they like didn't want me around any boys. You'd feel so restricted, especially seeing everyone else live, you know, a somewhat normal life or have somewhat normal parents when it comes to how strict they are. And I'm sure many of you out there have had or have really strict parents and you know what it's like. And maybe you can relate to how Jennifer was feeling. She was really starting to feel trapped, like she was a prisoner in her own family. And not only that, she was faking tons of things in her life, literally forging stuff. And that's a lot of pressure to be keeping up a whole fake persona. Despite their best efforts though, to keep her from dating, she ended up meeting another boy named Daniel Wong in 11th grade. He was a year older than her in school and was described as goofy and really social. He played the trumpet in the school band. So they, you know, connected on that. They were both in the band. And in 2003, they ended up going on a school field trip together. And it was a big field trip. It was all the way to Europe. When they were in Europe, they performed at this concert hall. And according to Jennifer, there was a ton of smoke in the concert hall from smokers and this really raged up her asthma and she was panicking over it feeling like she was gonna have a panic attack felt like she couldn't breathe and Daniel was really there for her really calmed her down helped you know ground her and she felt like he didn't have to do that he didn't owe her anything and she said that it literally saved her life so now she is really into Daniel she felt like he saved her life he really cared for her in that moment and so she really was head over heels into him so that summer they started dating and they were having a good summer together, although this had to be completely secret behind her parents' back. So Jennifer had actually received early admission into Ryerson University. However, 
Jennifer had actually failed one of her calculus classes back in high school, her senior year. So they ended up revoking her early admission. But Jennifer did not want her parents to know what was going on, so she hid this from them. She told everyone in her life that she was still going to go to this school, including her parents. This is when she created a fake acceptance letter and gave it to her parents, which I am shocked that they really fell for that. I mean, she must have been pretty good at faking stuff, probably had been doing it her whole life. And it turns out that Jennifer never even graduated high school. She wasn't able to walk, she wasn't able to finish, and so she lied to her parents. So Han Pan wanted Jennifer to become a doctor, but he figured out after a little while of getting to know his daughter more as a person, you know, you can't actually just make people what you want them to be. He figured out that it wasn't such a good route for her because it made her like sick, you know? It made, it grossed her out to like work on bodies and stuff. She didn't have the stomach for it. So he decides that she needs to still be in medical though. Gotta stay in what he wants, kind of. So he settles for pharmacology. He tells Jennifer that she should become a pharmacologist and she agrees. She told her parents that her plan was to attend Ryerson University. You know, they're still under the impression that she graduated and stuff. So she told them she's gonna go there for two years and then she's going to transfer to the University of Toronto and get in their pharmacology program. Now, a lot of people would say, well, how did the parents think that she was going to a college where they weren't paying any bills? Well, Jennifer actually told them that she was going on all scholarship money and grants and everything and that they didn't need to pay a dime. She could take care of it all on her own and her dad wasn't even involved in bills. To seem legit to her parents, she ended up purchasing textbooks and watching different documentaries and taking notes, real notes, to show her parents as if she was prepping for school. And while she was in college, Jennifer was not allowed to do any of the normal things that teenagers or you know college students do, like go to parties and hang out with friends, drinking. Jennifer like never got to experience that. At the time, Jennifer was teaching piano lessons on the side and also working in a restaurant to make extra money and fund her life. And eventually she went to the school <laughs> and two years went by of her parents thinking that she was in Ryerson University. After two years went by, her dad asked if she was planning to go to Toronto University to finish out her degree. And she said yes, and that she was accepted. And that was the next plan. So at this time, Jennifer suggested that maybe she should move out of her parents' house in with a friend. She had a friend named Topez who lived a little closer to University of Toronto. She thought that commuting back and forth downtown to her house would be a lot to handle. And she convinced her parents that it was a good idea for her to move out, move in with someone else. And they were fine with this. However, she wasn't staying with Topez, imagine that. During the week when she was going to college, she actually was staying at her friend Daniel's house. She lied to Daniel's parents, said that her parents were fine with her staying there and they were cool with it. So there you go. She was perfectly set up and her parents, again, thought she was staying with a female friend. So another two years went by of her parents believing that she's still in school. They now think that she's been in school for four years and it was about time for her to graduate from University of Toronto. So Daniel and her ended up finding someone online to help forge a fake transcript full of A's. Jennifer told her parents that they had an abnormally large class size at the University of Toronto. So they were only giving out one ticket per student for graduation and she didn't wanna make either of her parents feel bad. So she told them that she ended up giving it to a friend. So she told her parents that after she was done there, she was actually planning on volunteering at a blood
blood testing lab called Sick Kids. And conveniently, she told her parents that she would have to work late night shifts and during the weekend. So she convinced her parents that she should probably start spending most of her time at Topez's house. However, her parents noticed that she did not have a uniform or a key card for Sick Kids. So one day, Jennifer's parents said that they wanted to bring her to the hospital and drop her off themselves and see what was going on. So, you know, she's shitting her pants at this point. She gets in the car with them, they drive over to the hospital, and she basically just gets out and books it inside. And her parents went in after her, like they were trying to see where she was working, you know, they were really up her ass. So they actually went in there looking for her and she literally hid out for a long time in the emergency room, just hiding somewhere until she could leave and her parents you know, had cleared the area. Her parents were starting to catch on though. They felt like she was acting very strange and they were worried that they were being duped. So the following day they called Topez and they asked her where Jennifer was and Topez said that she was not there. So this is when they became very concerned. So later on she came home and they ended up really putting her on the spot, questioning her and eventually she confessed that she didn't actually work at Sick Kids and she had made it all up. She also started to tell them that she did did not go to the University of Toronto, that she instead was living with Daniel instead of Topez, which really pissed them off. But she decided to keep them under the impression that she graduated high school and went to Ryerson University before University of Toronto. So she kind of half told them everything. Her mom and dad were very pissed off to say the least. They really brought down the hammer on her. They took away her cell phone and her laptop. They wanted to cut off her connection with the outside world and also make her stop talking to Daniel completely. They literally made her quit her job at the restaurant. She was only allowed to teach piano and they really put the clamp down on her. They started tracking her mileage in her car, literally adding up to make sure that she wasn't going anywhere that she wasn't supposed to be. Jennifer was absolutely miserable. In February of 2009 she posted on her Facebook that living in her house was like being on house arrest and even though she was only supposed to leave her house to go teach piano she still would try to go see Daniel every chance she could. One night she even pulled the old-fashioned trick of putting blankets and pillows underneath her bed where she would be sleeping and set it up like she was in her bed sleeping when she actually went over to Daniel's house but of course the next morning her mom went in her room pulled back the blankets and saw that she wasn't there and they were really pissed about that as well. They again tried to to clamp down on her. They wanted her to stop having any contact with Daniel. They wanted her to also start applying for colleges again and try to become like a lab tech or something like that. Her dad gave her the ultimatum of going to school or being kicked out. And he also told her that there is no way for you to see Daniel at all, which was heartbreaking to her. I mean, she really loved this guy or, you know, teenage love. She, she loved him though. For her, she loved him. And her dad said no more seeing Daniel, which really enraged her. And he even said to her, if you want to see him, you're going to have to wait until I'm dead. Now, Daniel, on the other hand, was actually getting really tired of Jennifer. He said that she came with a lot of drama, that he was sick of her always making excuses of why they couldn't be together, why she couldn't see him. He knew that her parents were really strict. So he'd ended up deciding to end things, which was horrible for Jennifer. She went completely off the deep end. She was so upset because she felt like everything was out of her control and her parents were causing her to lose someone that she really cared about. And it wasn't long before 
before she found out that he ended up moving on pretty quick and started dating a girl named Christine, which made her even more angry. She ended up being really, really jealous, and so she devised a plan to tell Daniel that three men randomly came into her house and attacked her. And then she said that a few days later, she received a bullet in the mail. And she told Daniel that this was his new girlfriend, Christine, trying to threaten her to stay away from her man. So Jennifer was going a little bit off the deep end here. So then in spring of 2010, Jennifer ended up reconnecting with this guy that she used to be friends with when she was younger named Andrew. At one point, Andrew told her in confidence that he had at one point considered possibly killing his father. But Jennifer says that this sparked an idea for her. Life would be a lot better for her if her tiger parents weren't around, if she didn't have her dad standing in the way of her and Daniel's relationship or everything else that she wanted and wouldn't be forced to be anything that she was not. And so getting rid of him started to seem pretty appealing to her. So Andrew ended up introducing Jennifer to his friend named Ricardo Duncan. And according to Jennifer, they ended up making a plan for him to kill her father in the parking lot of his work. She ended up giving Duncan only 1500 bucks from like piano lesson money and told him to do it. However, Duncan ended up taking her money and not doing anything. 1500 bucks is really not a lot and I don't feel like many people would do that. So she eventually realized that she was being ripped off and you know, gave up on Duncan. So he claims that he told her no and that she gave him a couple hundred bucks that she already owed him for something else, but it had nothing to do with him being paid to take out her father. So fast forward a little bit in time and Jennifer ends up back together with Daniel kinda. They're talking again, again and they end up coming up with a plan to take care of Jennifer's dad because now this is in her brain but this time they wanted to take out both of her parents so they came up with this big elaborate scheme to hire hitmen to come in and kill both of her parents and the plan was that she would get the money from their estate which would be about half a million dollars and the two of them would take that money and ride off into the sunset together so Daniel ended up giving Jennifer an iPhone to use as her burner phone to have crime related communication on and then she also had a Samsung that her parents paid for and everything that she did everything else on. Daniel ended up connecting Jennifer with an acquaintance of his named Leonard Crawford and he was nicknamed Homeboy. Now he said that he normally charged about $20,000 for this type of task. However, he was going to give them a friends and family discount. So it was only going to be $10,000 to take out her parents. And Jennifer was like, Sounds good to me. So the three of them decide that November 8th is going to be the day that he does it. Lenford said that his friend David was also going to help out. So eventually November 8th, 2010 came along. That night was a pretty normal evening. Jennifer was watching TV in her bedroom. Han was reading the Vietnamese newspaper and eventually around 8.30 PM, he had gone to bed. Now, Bic was actually out dancing. She was into line dancing, so she was out doing that with a friend and she came home around 9.30, went upstairs to change into her pajamas and went into the living room to watch TV. At 9.35, David called Jennifer Jennifer, they spoke for a couple minutes and then the call ends. Around this time, Jennifer walks downstairs, goes in and says goodnight to her mom while she's watching TV. And then she went to the front door and secretly unlocks it. Then at 10.02 PM, the switch in the study went on and off, like the light switch. And this was apparently a signal for the intruders to 
come into the house. A couple minutes later at 10.05, David and Jennifer were on the phone again for a few minutes. They also sent a few texts back and forth. One of them was Jennifer saying VIP access, which I assume means, you know, you have access to my home now. So there was also a third hitman who ended up joining in and his name was Eric Carley. So Lenford, David, and Eric all walked through the Pan family front door. One of them ran upstairs to get Han, brought him down, and then Eric went upstairs to get Jennifer. Jennifer told police that she was just sitting in her room and that she heard footsteps from people that she didn't know. According to Jennifer, he then made her go around the house and get any money that she had. She handed them 2,500 bucks, which is what she made in piano lessons, and another 1,100 bucks that was hidden in her mother's nightstand. After this, Jennifer says they took her back upstairs and tied her to a banister. Apparently, they tied up her arm, but also tied her hands behind her back, and they used a shoelace to do this. Apparently at this time, Jennifer's parents were totally confused and begging the intruders not to hurt their daughter Jennifer, and they basically hinted to them that they wouldn't do that, that she is going to be fine. So they took her parents downstairs and they shot them both. So this is when Jennifer ends up calling 911. What's your name? My name is Jennifer. So it just broke in? So I'm broken and I heard shots like pops. I don't know what's happening. I'm tied upstairs. Did it sound like gunshots? I don't know. I could not sound like I just heard a pop. Shit. I'm okay. My dad just went outside screaming. Do you think your mom is downstairs too? I don't hear her anymore. I don't know what's happening. So you can hear in the phone call that someone starts screaming and this is Han and he is not dead. He had, you know, come to and realized that his wife was next to him and was screaming. He was able to crawl upstairs to the main floor of the house and was just frantically screaming. Like you can hear it in the call, he runs out of the house. And this is where one of his neighbors saw him who was about to leave for work and he sees this man come screaming out of the house covered in blood. The neighbor called 911 as well. The police and the ambulance arrived and they took Han straight to the hospital where he was actually put into an induced coma. So no one knew exactly what was going on in the house, but Jennifer. So the York Regional Police interviewed Jennifer that night. And basically she told them that two men came in the house, started taking money from her, tied her to the banister, and then took her parents downstairs and shot them. When you hear your mom come in, do you hear your mom in the house? She was in the house. I had gone down the stairs. Did you hear, so before this, this is when, when did you hear your mom for the first time in the house? When she came home. So did you physically see your mom? Yes. And at that time there was no one strange in the house? No, I went, she was on the downstairs sofa. She was watching TV when I last saw her. Between that time that you see her and you leave her on the sofa until you hear the noises, the strange, the, the, the voices as you describe them, how long is that? Maybe a half hour. A half an hour? Where is it your mom was before here? She goes dancing every Monday. She does goes dancing with a few relatives as well. What is the first, when you hear these, this, can you hear them talking downstairs, the unknown voices? It's all a mumble. It's a mumble? Because I had the TV on, it was just all a mumble. When's the first time that you actually can hear one of them talking? When he was upstairs and I thought he had left the upstairs because I was frozen in my room for a while. Yeah. trying to listen in, but I couldn't hear over my TV and I didn't want to startle, startle them by turning it off or like diminishing the volume. So I was kind of pressed up against my door for a while trying to hear it. And I thought that 
all the people upstairs had gone down, so I opened up my door quietly and tried to peer out, and he saw me, and that's when he came. The only thing I can remember was him was he had dreadlocks. Did you see the gun? I only saw the top part of the gun. What did it look like? Um, kind of, it was black. Yeah. And it kind of, not triangular, but it was slightly wider at the end. Um, they sit me right at the bottom of the stairs, like, um, slightly out, not exactly directly at the bottom of the stairwell, but just slightly over a little. The third guy who I didn't encounter, but he was there, he was like, where's your money? Cooperate with us. And, you, and then my mom's like, you know, yelling and don't hurt us. And, you know, my money's in my wallet. Just please leave my paperwork. This person, this third guy who you're now describing, do you see him ever? Only as a shadow? Because he was, there's a, a wall, a okay. partial wall. And he was like right in that vision over my father, but partially in that vision. And the next thing I can hear are them telling my parents to move to the basement. Okay. And I'm asking them, why, where are you going? And my mom's yelling to me, I want my daughter. Why can't my daughter come too? I want my daughter. Who goes down to the basement? Do you? Can you see that from where you're sitting? My back is towards the wall. Do you hear anyone else in the main level where, where your parents were? Like you can hear, if people are trucking down the stairs, you hear your parents going down the stairs. Do you hear like five sets of footsteps going down there, or can't you hear that? I was just such a distress. I, I don't exactly know how many people went down. Now you wonder how she was able to call 911 when she was tied up. Two days after the original interview, the police ended up bringing Jennifer back in because they were really questioning how she was able to so easily call 911 when she was tied up. Stand up and turn around. Put this in the side that you believe it was in. Great. Turn around so that only you're looking away from me. You're looking exactly like now here is where the banister is. Put your hands back behind your back. Exactly how you remember they were. Okay. Now, and the, are you restrained from movement? How far can you move your hands from the banister? He tied my upper arm. Yes. Around the banister. Yes. But my hands were bound together. So your hands bound together. And this is the arm that's the, the strings wrapped around against the banister. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now how can you get to the phone and how do you make the phone call? 911? Mm -hmm. And do you talk down like that? Yes, I'm yelling at the phone like this. And how can you hear? I turned the volume on max. Yes. So that's exactly the way that you're talking to her against the railing. <laughs> so Bick's funeral was held on November 15th, 2010 at the Ogden Chapel in Scarborough. During the funeral, the police actually had someone there specifically to spy on Jennifer and see how she was acting, see if she seemed like someone who just went through this horrible, you know, invasion. Two people come into her house, tie her up, shoot her parents. She should be absolutely devastated. But they actually noticed that during the funeral, she didn't show any emotion at all, which of course, Everyone shows grief differently. That's something that everyone knows, but you have to take it into consideration when someone's not showing anything at all. And it actually didn't take long before people around her started to feel like the whole thing was sketchy, including the police. And so the police ended up surveilling her a lot of the time. They had someone watching her secretly pretty much at all times. One thing that really wasn't adding up to police at first was that this was supposedly a burglary, that these people invaded the house and were asking for money. But
but this doesn't add up because the keys to their Lexus was sitting in plain view out on the counter. Why wouldn't someone take a car. There wasn't a single electronic stolen, no jewelry or anything like that. And they even discovered that there was still money hidden in the house. They also thought it was strange that they weren't carrying any type of crowbar with them. It seemed like they knew that the front door was already going to be unlocked and just waiting for them. And the thing that just really wasn't adding up was why would the intruders leave Jennifer completely unharmed? If they wanted to get rid of all the witnesses, then they would have killed her too. So three days after this all happened on November 12th, Han actually woke up from his coma and he was in really bad shape. He had a broken bone close to his face. So he had bruising on his face. He had bullet fragments actually stuck in his face and he had a shattered neck bone. However, surprisingly, he remembered everything from that night. He said that while the men were in the house that night, he remembered Jennifer talking to one of them like they were friends. He saw them. He also said that her arms were not tied behind her back, that she was not tied to the banister, that she was in fact walking around with these people around the house. So obviously this is hugely different from what Jennifer is telling police. So they decide to bring her in for a third interview. And this interrogation lasted a long time. The interrogation lasted nine hours and they were really at the point where they were starting to put blame on Jennifer to see how she would react and see if they could get her to just spill the truth. So eventually she cracked and she said that she was lying to them, but she didn't tell them the complete truth. She said that she was depressed, that her life Life sucked. She was, you know, basically on house arrest and stuff, and that she wanted someone to come in and kill her. But they got confused and they got her parents instead. She said that she had given up on her life, didn't want to live anymore, and that she had just hired someone to do it all for her because it scared her. So police ended up, of course, arresting Jennifer right there on the spot. Eventually, the police were able to figure out who the men were that were involved in the attack by looking through old you know, phone records, text messages, and stuff like that. She had gotten rid of her SIM card, but there were some that were still actually still on her iPhone. They eventually arrested all of them. Trial began on March 19th, 2014, and it lasted almost 10 months. There were more than 50 witnesses that testified. Jennifer was on the stand for seven days. And basically since there was already text message proof that she hired them to do this, her only defense was to pretend like she was hiring them for a different reason. She basically went in there and said she tried to cancel and they wouldn't let her. Her defense started saying that she was going to have to pay regardless and that she was even going to have to pay them to not do the attack at this point. However, the argument was really, really weak and defeated in court pretty quick because there were over a hundred messages that day between Jennifer and Daniel and the other guys talking about what was going to happen to her parents that night. So didn't seem like you tried to cancel that hard girl, but they also did try to argue that Jennifer had been through years and years of abuse from these really strict tiger parents and that she just couldn't take it any longer, that she had snapped and there was nothing she could do about it. However, all of them were convicted on December 13th, 2014. Each of them received a life sentence without any possibility of parole for 25 years. So it's possible that they could end up staying in jail forever. We won't know until they apply for parole in 25 years, but they can't even do so until then. So they're gonna be in there for a while. This was only Jennifer, Daniel, David, and Lenford though. There's still Eric to deal with. He was still tried with them, but his lawyer was sick. So they ended up delaying his trial a little bit. And in 2015, he ended up taking a plea deal. So basically he only got 18 years because he decided to plead guilty. Jennifer's dad and her brother Felix ended up requesting a court ordered protection on them where she could have no contact with them. And the judge honored this. So she was not allowed to 
talk to either of them or have any contact with Daniel either. And of course, this was incredibly hard on Jennifer's dad. He is said to be a shadow of what he once was. He is unable to work due to his injuries. He's depressed. He has nightmares, insomnia. People around him said that he has just not lived a normal life at all since. He's got such severe anxiety that he can barely function anymore, which I mean is pretty understandable. It would be so hard to find out that someone you thought you loved and trusted, you know, hired someone to take you out. You would probably never sleep okay again. He made one statement saying that he hopes that his daughter can realize what she did and become a decent human, basically. Felix ended up wanting to kind of start his own life away from everyone, so he moved to the East Coast. Jennifer will be 49 before she's even considered for parole, but I highly doubt any of them will get parole. They're all currently being held in different correctional facilities, and Eric ended up actually passing away in his cell in 2018. That's a whole nother thing. But basically the fact that Jennifer's dad survived was really what blew the top off of Jennifer's whole life. I mean, there's a possibility they could have found out about it, whether he survived or not, but him being able to say all that definitely made them take a second look at her and see that her story actually made no sense. That is going to be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode. And make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you want to watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there. <laughs>